Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 283. I'm your host, Mike Destiny Apps, and with me as always... Uh, just, uh, just another chum trying to make his way through Night City, David McBurney, Family Master. And with us this week... Takes too much time off, the mighty Tam. Hmm. Good to have you back. Um, He's just crashing like the last half hour. Listen, they they didn't know to have you back. <laughs> they didn't know that uh, that we were just on a backtrack together. Look forward to it. It will be up by the time this goes up. It will have been up for a oh, while by the time yeah, this goes probably. up. Probably. Most likely. Those usually go up like the next day. Yeah. This will sit around for a week. Oh, no. Uh, I'm, I'm talking like my normal. I only crash in like the last half an hour of the shows usually. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Yeah. Good to have you. Been a minute. Uh... I think the last time you came in, you came in right at the tail end, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. We've got some questions. Sweet. Uh, Let's do a quick what have we been playing. Yeah, yeah. What have we been playing? Uh, I've been playing some Destiny, but I actually have newish things to talk about there. Oh, thank God. Oh. <laughs> Thank God, I thought you'd be horrified. I was saying, oh, thank God, because I thought when you said there were things to talk about, you meant things that weren't Destiny. Oh, well, well, I do have new things to talk about. But I also have new Destiny things to talk about. Uh, I finally did a full run of the uh, new old raid in King's Fall. Um, was that the one you streamed last week? Uh, what did I stream? No, I did on the, the, the Extra Life. Yeah. No, that, those were dungeons. Those are three man. Raids would be six man. We need to make a list of nouns and verbs that can be slammed yeah. together to create an MMO raid. There's got to be at least five MMO raids that are called King's Fall. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, King's Fall is. Uh, it's, uh, it's nice to finally do a full run of that, and it was. Uh, had some nice changes and improvements to it over the original version. And lucked into finding a group that wanted to just do the final boss a few times. We did that. I got the exotic from that. And then just this past week, I also got the exotic from the other raid I've been doing a million times. So I can actually scale back my raiding a bit. Which is nice. You're free. For my backlog. I saw you uh, posting memes about getting something that never fucking spawned, and I just felt like I was watching someone die. <laughs> I, was, oh, I was talking about the the Vow of the Disciple exotic, which I got just got yesterday. Which is the reason I was doing that raid three times a week, because otherwise I would only need to do it one time a week to get... Well, I'm not going to go into it. To get weapon thingies. <laughs> which I can now do. Because I got that weapon, so. Um, unfortunately, there's still other raids I have yet to ever do in this game, so. I will not be running out of content, Destiny content, in any time in the near future. Uh, 
Uh, but other than that, um, oh, I got to take care of a toddler. Um, go ahead and talk, and you can come back to me. Be right back. Yeah. Uh, I'm playing uh, Tales of Eternia still. Um, I am just got the ship captain guy. Oh shoot! I forgot to grind money. And then. Um, I've actually found two new gacha games that I really enjoy, like story and art-wise. I feel like I've just heard someone describe the new designer drugs that they've decided that they enjoy. <laughs> I mean, one of them kind of has a name that is kind of like a designer drug. Oh god, what is it? Uh, Memento Mori. Okay, so you're dead. Uh... Yeah, so um, that one... You know, you know when you play Octopath Traveler and has those very artistic, like, city scenes? Yeah. The whole game looks like that. That's cool. Like, even the... So, it's using live 2D technology for, like, the, all the designs and everything, and it is, it is a gorgeous game. It is a dark... But the story is darkest. all get out, so... Um... The premise of the story is that basically there's a there's witches who are on the run from church and are hiding across the different regions of the like continent you're in and you're going from point it's an AFK battler too so you know you're going to the different points and you're fighting them but it's the church that may be corrupting them but mm -hmm. when they get corrupted they cause corruption in the world where their powers basically like over like overgrow basically so like in the very first area um the first like witch of that area you're fighting controls flowers her powers are related mm -hmm. to flowers so so the towns are like just these huge brambles of like flowers and stuff mm -hmm. so and it, it it and each each character has its own their own actual theme song and each of the songs are fully voiced both in Japanese and in English like fully voiced lyrics and everything and they are very beautiful mm -hmm. but if you actually pay attention to the lyrics they're also very haunting. Um, Which again, that's the theme. Yeah, but it is it is a very beautiful game uh, for a mo for a mobile gacha game. It is actually very very pretty. Um, mm. The other one I'm playing is. Uh, Nikkei got us a victory, which is like a over-the-shoulder shooter. Oh, I've heard of this one. Yeah, which is, I it's it's pretty it's also got some dark pretty darkness to it too. So, um, I'm not as far in that one as I am in um, in Momento Mori. So, but they but they both got dark stories because like. The first up, the first thing I'm doing is shooting an assistant in the head to destroy her, because she's been she's been corrupted and Nikkei got us a victory. So yeah, no, both both of them yeah. have their very dark moments. Yeah. So, but um, I other than that, I've been just um, I played a little Chrono Trigger. I played just a number of different things like hit or miss, because I beat uh, Star Ocean: The Divine Force. Uh, oh. And, and uh, honestly, I gotta say it's the best Star Ocean they've made. Really? Yes. I'll, uh, Damn. I'll be the judge of that. But <laughs> well, um, <laughs> it, okay. So to 
to give you a, a idea, David. Um, not from RPG fan. Mm -hmm. Loves it, and he thinks mm -hmm. all the Star Oceans are not good. Wow. Yeah, I, I just I have strong strong opinions that Star Ocean Two it's an incredible video game. So I'll see how I feel about that. But it's also going to be very colored opinion because of the whole nature of I have been a fan of Star Ocean Two for over twenty years. So. Well, that Scott Scott was talking about this actually on his stream the other night. Is um, mm -hmm. he loved Star Ocean Two when it came out, mm -hmm. but having gone back to it, he says that yeah, it's not really that good of a game. <sighs> I mean, I've played it in the past. Mm. It's still a great game, so... Yeah, I, we'll see how it goes. Pew, there's, I, I, Pew, there's no but, sleeping on the stream. Stop. It's not going to happen. Give it time. Wide awake. Give it time. So, so, but, so uh, um, yeah, but since beating Star Ocean, the Divine Force, uh, I, I've been kind of just bouncing off most of my games because I'm just not sure what I want to play. Yeah, I know that feeling. What have you been playing, Dave? Uh, as for me, I, I've started in on Divine Force, and I've enjoyed what I've played so far. Uh, uh, who, who guess, did you start with? Uh, I started with Raymond because I want space to be a greater a greater concept of what space is in the story. But, uh, I, I do like the uh, can, the party dynamic that has been established thus far. It's got an, uh, an easier, better sense of writing, and uh, voice acting than any of the prior ones thus far. Uh, to the point where, like, there have been scenes, uh, like, the, the scene where they introduce, like, private actions, and, like, uh, Raymond and Leticia are having a uh, discussion about the, you know, start of the journey. It's one of those situations where, like, the animations are letting down the vocal performances. Because, <laughs> like, I, I think Leticia's uh, voice is a little off early on. It it comes off more emotionless than it's. I think they were trying to go for prim and proper, and I don't think. I think it's. I think it's mostly worked for me thus far, but I get what you're Yeah, it now. mostly works, but I I think it, it was just like a little off to me. Um, but because hmm. there were some scenes where I think she needs to do better with her emotional output than she did um but she gets much but she does get better as the game progresses yeah but my, my broader point was that I, I felt like even at the start like the voice acting was actually quite good to the point where i was noticing that the voice acting was better than the animation around it so like the voices are giving a lot of fairly uh, relatively nuanced performance and the animations are still like very broad because they're the like lower budget private action cutscenes, but like they're using canned animations that are very uh, sweeping and kind of letting down the relatively uh, nuanced performances. But thus far, I've, I've enjoyed quite a bit of it. it uh, the sense of three dimensional exploration the environments have because of Dumont is it's quite good. The battles are nice and snappy. Uh, game doesn't waste your time. Got nothing but nice things to say about it thus far. Um, but you know, we'll see. Depending upon my mood, it might it be set down for a while to uh, until I'm like in the mood to tackle it. We'll see what happens. But I've enjoyed what I've played so far. I've got nothing bad to say about it, uh, which is which is a nice feeling to have. Um, other than that, uh, I started watching uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Uh, 
friends, and that caused me to boot up Cyberpunk 2077 on PS5. Uh, that has gone through uh, oodles and oodles of patches since launch. Uh, I think it actually got a new one this week uh, to implement uh, the uh, ATI equivalent of NVIDIA's DLSS technology. It's called like FSR or something. But it's the same idea of you take a low resolution image and you use uh, like AI upscaling techniques that are less computationally expensive to upscale it into being a large, a higher resolution image such that it uh, allows the game to run at a lower internal resolution and keep the frame rate more steady. Uh, it's, it's still a very nice looking game. About two years on from its release, it's still a very good looking game. Uh, Gameplay wise, I've mentioned it a few times, it plays like nothing so much as an open world Deus Ex game. Which is good to me. Interesting... What? Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting construction. Uh, the decades of uh, lore that have accreted within the Cyberpunk tabletop game that have fed into this game uh, are. Uh, interesting to say the least in terms of how they have created a world that has a lot going on in it that uh, some of it probably kind of like there's definitely things in this game that feel like they were probably written by someone who was a fan of the tabletop lore and sort of assumed that they might communicate a little better than they do to someone who has not played the tabletop game or perhaps even heard of it because uh, Cyberpunk 2013, its first edition, came out in like 1988. Uh, it's, it's been around a minute. Uh, but as it's not D&D &D or any of the other like big tabletop games that have like some degree of mainstream understanding, uh, the understanding of its lore is not great. But it, it's got, it's so far, it's got some very interesting uh quest writing going on uh, they fixed some of the more like boneheaded mishandlings of certain themes particularly uh the way that the game previously handled gender has been fixed to some extent uh they've generally they've done a lot of things to like they've uh they've changed the perk tree since launch to the point where they actually eliminated a perk because it was just not useful in any situation basically uh way back at launch there was a perk you could get but what it did was it made you invisible while you were underwater and there are like three places you could ever use that and <laughs> none of them are places where you would be too concerned about finding a way to be invisible uh there's it, it just never a practical place to use it so they just cut it from the perk tree entirely uh, they added ways to, they, they added a respecking option. They're in the process of reworking how melee functions. They've done a lot to, uh, you know, nip and tuck and clean up little bits of the game. And the thing is that if you were not playing, the problem the game sort of had at launch was that if you were playing it on the system, you were most likely to be playing, playing it on, which is to say a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One. Uh, it ran like shit. And there was really no way around that. Like, just because of the technological technological demands of the game, game, there was absolutely no fixing that. And to this day, 
the I believe the Edge Runner update, which is like version 1.6, is the last update they're giving to those consoles. Not really a. It, it still doesn't run stably on either. It, that version just shouldn't have existed. And I get yeah. why it had to, but it was it it utterly poisoned the reputation. They it is fascinating to watch uh, the fact that Edge Runners has rehabilitated that game by extension. <laughs> but uh, it is a very good anime, for the record. But um, it's a it's a really fascinating to, thing to watch when you've been exposed to the video game, and then to watch if you've watched any of the other works of the team of Hiroyuki Imaishi, because uh, Imaishi's style is uh, and direct the style of the anime he's directed is very uh, obvious and specific. And it is fascinating that it does not clash one iota with the game's art direction, which it, which it uh, has integrated itself into pretty much seamlessly for that uh, particular show. But the show also papers over some issues of the game thinks that you know who this character, that you care about this character, so doesn't uh, spend a lot of time explaining who they are. And then... Uh, <laughs> whoops, they turn out to be important really late in the game. And so for people who had just played the game, it's like, why, why the fuck do I care about this dude? So he is a part of the anime. And so by the time that if you watch the anime and then play the game, you have a pre-built-in reason to care about this character that doesn't require you to know the lore of the tabletop game, where he has been a major force within the plot since Cyberpunk 2013. <laughs> okay. So... It's an interesting ex post facto solution to an issue that they wrote themselves into. <laughs> but it works, it works. Uh, Keanu Reeves uh, clearly actually did not phone this in. He, uh, as, as Johnny Silverhand, he has probably the second most dialogue in the entire game. Uh, and is it's honestly just fun to watch him just sort of be a dick throughout, the, throughout every fucking... Uh, side quest that you're doing where he'll just come in and just be kind of an asshole about it <laughs> uh, there's but there's you know there's a lot of good side quests there's some good quest writing about uh, that goes into like the nature of how uh, you know people continue to exist with you know fairly recognizable uh, societal and belief structures even into this this like horrifying uh, <laughs> This horrifying, uh, relatively near future. It's a, uh, it's, it's you know, it's not perfect, but I do think that it paradoxically has reached a point where, or had reached a point where people were failing to, uh, were were un, were failing to notice or were unwilling to talk about the things that it actually does do well. And I think that now that it's kind of had a few years to sit. But it's kind of coming back to being, oh, this is good. It just you need to go into it with the right set of expectations. But I've been having a lot of fun scouting through a whole bunch of the, uh, just doing all sorts of side quests and wandering around, doing some of the main quests, which are all good. Night City is a really uh, cool environment to uh, to wander around. It's sort of a weird, uh, you know, cyber pastiche of a sort of San Francisco-ish area, which is also kind of fun because I just went on vacation to San Francisco a month ago, 
So, you know, that gives it a bit more color for me. But in general, it's, you know, it's a, it's a really well-constructed environment. It's got a lot of, uh, it, it's fun to move around in because despite being a first-person game, you actually have a fair bit of mobility. So there's a lot of, like, weird nooks and crannies you can find your way in. And usually there's something in there. So generally, pleased with, uh, with it as a game thus far. Uh, find myself excited for the uh, Phantom Liberty expansion that they've just started talking about again. Uh, everyone go look at the website for Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty while it still uh, while it hasn't still hasn't been updated because it's still promising that that, ver that, that expansion will be coming to Stadia. <laughs> so uh, laugh at that while you can. Uh, it was still saying that as of like November thirteenth, uh, twenty twenty two, which I feel like I should point out a fair bit after the Stadia has been discontinued. Rest in I thought it was uh, no longer being supported, but it was still technically mm. a thing until January. No, you can't. You can't actually buy new things on it. Yeah, you can't um, buy or release new things on it. Yeah, so like they could not put the expansion on state yet if they wanted to, and I also don't think that expansion is due out before January. So. Also, I think some people developing Stadia games found out at the same time as we did that this was happening. Yes, I believe that was actually most of them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was yeah that was very widely reported that people who were developing games for Stadia found out Stadia was shutting down. Like there was even one company where they had literally just signed the contract the day before to bring their game to Stadia. That's so that right. means even marketing at Google didn't know that Stadia was shutting down. On the on the bright side, they might have still gotten paid and not even started that part. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that, was, that old situation was horrible, but yeah, uh, but yeah, if you have a, if you have a PS5 or Xbox series, or apparently it's also been like very well optimized to run on Steam Deck of all things, but, yeah, like, so they went to some amount of trouble to make that actually work well on that, but apparently though, if you have it on one of those platforms, like, the thing about it is, as mentioned, it shouldn't have launched on PS4 and Xbox. It, it just never ran on them, and it clearly wasn't supposed to. But if you are interested in it, it's out now, and it's going to probably be on sale for basically the entirety of November and December. Uh, now, now's a good time to pick it up. It's at a point where it's honestly probably more stable than most open-world RPGs, so... If uh, if it's ever struck your curiosity, it's uh, it might be you might be pleasantly surprised by it. And uh, uh, I guess the other thing I'll say is that I have had honestly more success just rushing in and hitting people with a lead pipe than I probably should have. But that's the fun of games, isn't it? It is. It I is. mean, it works in Yakuza. I'm going to run up and hit wheels in the head with a lead pipe, is what I'm saying. Wow, that's fair. <laughs> so, other than Destiny... What are I can't even say this? why. I could say which reason why, Which reason would you pick. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's, all, it's all down to that Prince of Virgin the SPM. Uh, yeah, that's fair. 
but yeah. Uh, so what are you even playing other than uh, Destiny Wings? Uh, I said Trails uh, um, in the Sky. Trying to get near yeah. the end of that. Uh, we did a Batman stream on Sunday. Uh, yeah, B-Man. Rip, Batman, Rip Kevin Conroy. Um, Rip, Rip the greatest of all our Batmans. Yes. Let me play some more of that because it's pretty fun and having it portable on the steam deck is pretty nice so um, had a very had a very fun discussion about different interpretations of that a few days ago just for the way from Tom Hardsman. We discussed uh, George Clooney Batman as being a Batman who has no inner life and knows he has no inner life and thinks that's fine. <laughs> but continue. Uh Dietrich Bader in the uh, Batman: The Brave and the Bold was another good, ba another good and different take on Batman. Yeah, and that's why the character is still malleable. You can have your definitive Batmans, and you do. You have people like Conroy, but there's still there are always room for different interpretations. Yeah. Adam West. Yep. You got your Adam West, your Bales, your Pattinsons. All of them bring something interesting and unique to the table. Yeah. I'm still mad nothing ever came of those rumors of a uh, 1960s or Silver Age, what did they call it? Like a Silver Age Batman game by Rocksteady. Yeah, I would. there were enough rumors there that I'm certain that they like at least pitched the idea at some stage. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if WB said, but that's not the direction we're going with Batman right now. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> Bummer. But yeah, 60s is Silver Age, like, Golden Age is like 30s to 50s. Yeah. No one, no one really wants to go back to Golden Age Batman. That was the Batman that just shot people sometimes. <laughs> uh, what else have we been playing? I failed to resist the urge to at least start up Tacticals Ogre and take a peek. It seems like a wonderful port, so... Felt the urge to resist the urge to what? I didn't hear that. Play Tactics Ogre. Oh uh, yeah, reborn. Yeah, it's I wouldn't nice. be calling that a port. It's another remake. Yeah, it's true. It's uh, the voice acting seems good. It seems good, but uh, if, you, if you disapproved of the concept of leveling an entire class rather than an individual unit, that's gone. <laughs> oh, I like that though. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like that's why I'm saying, like that's I wouldn't even like it's using the PSP version for the basis of its assets, but like under the hood, they've completely reworked it yet again. Interesting. Interesting. I think they've added a bunch of new side content as well. So. Um, what was I going to say? Played more Sonic, which is really good. Street and Street really Street. runs like butter on the Switch. I, I, I am shocked. I mean, I they, think... they want that game to sell in Japan. They yeah. need it to, to run at least okay on the Switch. And it runs like way better than okay. Like it, I know it's probably not 60 frames per second, but it just feels like that smooth. But that's uh, all that matters. It needs to feel good. Yeah, but that game is rad. It's very good. Cool music. Cool levels. Been, it's good. I've, I've been very interested in it, in part just because Sonic is one of those things. How to describe this? How to describe this? Uh, for for a very long time. Uh, like, like, the last time that Sonic... Okay. For, for a very long time, they've been trying to make sure that Sonic games can be 
okay, that they have, that they can work, that they that they will not violate a baseline standard of quality, because the the like the degree that the consumer confidence was shaken after the one-two punch of Shadow the Hedgehog and Sonic 06 in like one year span uh, was catastrophic. So for a long time, they've been sort of shooting for, we want to make sure that you can buy a Sonic game and it's an okay game. And, that you know, that's fair. You want to make sure, like, people are guaranteed to have a good time. But eventually it, it reached a stage where, like, they, it was very hard for a Sonic game to, per se, stand out because they were very much shooting for right down the middle sort of games. And, like, you know, my personal favorite Sonic game is not the best Sonic game by a long shot. It's Sonic Adventure 1, but that is a game that is crazy and overambitious to a fault. And Frontiers feels like another game that at least feels like it's perhaps that it's an ambitious game in addition to being a good one, which is nice. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's fine. Yeah, you said uh, you said it way better than I could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looks really pretty. Uh, looks fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think that's that's the important thing above all else like I could sit here and nitpick little things it's just like yeah I'm running around this open world area and randomly fight a boss and do other like random little platformy things and get rewards that help me progress it's uh it's great it's great it's um uh I was a bit worried about like the open world aspect of this when they first announced it, but it just it, the way they've done it, I think, is really smart. And like I said, just whatever you're doing around there, you're getting rewarded with things. Everything's fast. Everything feels smooth. If you die, it's not really that big a deal. Hmm. The way I would. Uh, the way I've been thinking about the open world, like ever since it was announced, is that it made perfect sense for Sonic to go open world, specifically because one of the problems that Sonic games consistently had was that they were concerned that Sonic games were too short. They needed to be stuffed to the gills with other gameplay styles to make them longer, because a Sonic level uh, needs a ton of assets that the player is going to blaze past in like two minutes. Yeah. And so making a Sonic game open world is a good excuse to force the player to run past that set of assets dozens and dozens of times without them getting pissed off that they're having to do it. And so making a Sonic game with open traversal made perfect sense. Yeah, uh, and it worked out well. Yeah, by all accounts. I'm excited to pick it up eventually. When I've got more cash to spare. That's fair. It's a lot of games, especially uh, this yeah. week. Pocket Monsters! Yes. Uh, I think that's all I've been playing, though, of interest. Uh, I'm going to get back to some Mario and Rabbids, too, at some point. But yeah. uh, there's just been too many new things to balance between. I still have Xenoblade to get back to at some point. God damn it. And Elden Ring, I guess. Although I'm just kind of 
need a break from that genre, I think. Yeah, I'm probably in the point, point where it's like, by the time that they're making, uh, between now and the time that they successfully finish making another game, I'll be in the mood for a Souls game. Yeah. For now, I don't feel the need to force it. Um, right, let's check out some of the questions there. Yeah, we got a ton of them, actually. Uh, quickly hit this one that uh, Tam brought to our attention. Apparently brought up by Scar during the Tales of Eternia stream. Why was the Wonder Chef removed from newer Tales games? Uh, I think there's probably a lot of reasons. Eventually they just sort of ran out of things to do that kept the character funny. <laughs> it's like, that was the point of the Wonder Chef, was just like, oh, it's a funny way to get recipes to you. Here in weird places. We've had him fight you at least once. <laughs> We've had him uh, be disappointed because you found a recipe somewhere else. What what joke is left for this character to have? There was also Legendia where it was a descendant of the Wonder Chef who was kind of bad. Yeah, don't make me think about Legendia again, but that is true. Um, but yeah, like it, it was one of those things where it's just like they were running out of ways to present that joke. And also, the, the cooking system was becoming less of a defining feature for the series over time. So making a character whose joke was that they were the guy who gave you recipes made less sense because you weren't like cooking was a less unique feature and a less defining feature. So between those two things, it no longer really made sense to worry about like. We need to find all these, we need to write like 20, 30 different ways for the Wonder Chef to show up and be in disguise or have side quests or all these things. It just didn't make sense anymore to keep forcing themselves to do that. And it was like a relatively, a, a system of diminishing importance uh, that could just as easily be served by having the player like, oh, the player looked in a book and there's a recipe in it and now they have their recipe or like any other way you could do it. So. Yeah. And our the number of side quests. Yeah. yeah Scar, and then of course, Scar was okay. like, I, re I really enjoyed, you know, trying to find them and search for them. And I, I my response was kind of like, I think it just kind of lost over time just because of the change in game. Yeah, like it's just one of those things, like, because when you, when you stick with the longer chef, you also limit what other things you can do with the cooking system. You can't really make huge changes to it because it kind of has to, like, the Wonder Chef is setting an expectation of, like, this is how it worked in the old games, and it still works that way now, because it still has the Wonder Chef. The thing is that now that the Wonder Chef is, doesn't appear that often, and I don't think it's been in a game in several games, you could bring him back, and it would be a cute thing that you could do, and you could reuse some of the old jokes without them feeling stale. I don't know that I could see them doing that, but I think that maybe in a few games, they maybe bring him back out of nostalgia. But like the idea of the Wonder Chef being in every game is gone forever and probably for the best. Uh, yeah, that, that would be my my two cents about Pole Affair. Um, a few of these questions that Fireminer left in the, dis uh, in the Discord are pretty specifically things that the Gaijin would be better off talking about, so we'll go jump back to them if he gets here before we conclude. Uh, 
but we'll hit some ones that we can all maybe throw some two cents in on. Uh, do you think developers do cost analysis when making costume DLC? Designing fashionable clothes takes time and money, not to mention the work that goes into making the 3D models. Hence, a lot of developers just stick a bikini on the existing character model and call it a day. I mean, I'm certain that they do think about it, but I think that, like, cosmetic DLC, it's not a nothing cost, but it is, in a relative sense, a much lower cost than the other options, so long as the outfit isn't so outlandish that it needs any sort of special animations to go with it or special like cases to make sure that it's not constantly like uh clashing with existing animations but if you're selling cosmetic dlc you sell dlc that you figure people will buy and bikini dlc sells real good yeah there's it's yeah it's it's basically cost it's basically supply and demand i mean are are you going to have this really nice intricate outfit that will not sell so you're not making as much money or are you going to slap a bikini on the female character and call it a day and and sell like every, a copy for you know one dlc per copy almost i'm sure it's less than that of course but a much higher attach right the, the way i would describe it is Describe this as a complicated enough process to count as a cost-benefit analysis. They mostly just like sort of uh, the easiest one I could describe this with would be uh, Street Fighter V, which has dozens and dozens of uh, costume DLCs, and they have a few ways that they parcel these out. One is that the player, the characters who players run with in uh like capcom pro 4 tournaments tend to get new costumes so that like a capcom pro 4 2020 costume 2021 2022 whatever like they'll have those as like okay we're giving this character a dlc costume but outside of that the answer tends to be whose costumes sell best and so that's why chun li has like 30 costumes and blanca has five <laughs> It's, uh... No, no offense. It, that, that's just simple. Guys like dressing... Guys like having female characters wear different things. It's, uh, it's very easy to sell. I'll put it the same way. I, I once recall hearing that, uh... That part of the reason that, uh... Right stuff before they were bought by Sony always did a robust feeling in... Uh, 18 plus uh, titles was that uh, no one ever returned them. <laughs> like if you if you sold someone an anime DVD that had like three episodes way back in the day, they would, uh, you know, you would get some people that would watch it and then try to return it. No one tried to return the one. <laughs> they kept that, and so it was. I like didn't one know of those Sony bought rights. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it happened earlier this year, but... No, they bought out Crunchyroll uh, earlier this year. Yeah, no, they also bought Right Stuff. Yeah, and, and Funi too. Yeah, well, they bought Funi a while ago. But, uh... But, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like, people people will buy things that, that make them... The people buy things that make them horny, and uh, they usually don't try to return them. 
So, you know, onward to 30 more jury costumes in Street Fighter VI. Um, oh, Lord. <laughs> inescapable. Um, but yeah, one of those things, like, I don't even think it rises to a cost-benefit analysis, just because, like, pricing it out is, you know, pretty much, ne the, the price, relatively speaking, is negligible. And so it's just down to, like, uh, player telemetrics show that everyone uses this lady, give her, like, a fetish outfit, done. Uh, because people will buy those. Um, but yeah, and that's why they kind of do just uh, a stick a bikini on an existing character and call it a day. It's, it's easier that way. It's, there's, no, there's no need to complicate this. It's... When you're when you're shooting for like cool, you're shooting for a lot of different kinds of cool that people go for. Like you know, just you know, sex sells, and that's an easy way to uh, get a very broad target. Uh, we know there are cases of developers leaving notes inside their own games to show how, how unhappy they are with their works. But is there any game built around the idea that no one is happy making this stuff? Kind of like She-Hulk is the admission of the MTV writers about how uh, how much these shows suck. Well, Wales is going to have uh, differing opinions. But... I think you're misinterpreting that show. Hmm. I did not watch it, so I won't dig into that. But I've definitely... There are definitely games that are about how the developers don't understand why people like them. Or essentially that disagree with the concept of liking them. Yeah. I remember uh, people were very unhappy with the ending and thematics of Danganronpa V3, which basically says that you should stop wanting more Danganronpa. Um, I'm to think of other ones. Uh, Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes is not about how uh, Suda didn't like making that one. He very much did. But it does have an entire subsection that's about his mixed feelings as a creator about the game Shadows of the Damned. Uh, do you have any wheels that you could think of? Not off the top of my head, no. But yeah, there, there, there are some that are about, you know, how people shouldn't, uh, about how they dislike the game conceptually or like the game genre conceptually that's infamously a lot of Dragon Guard is just uh, a bleeding through dislike of the game's context and content uh, also hello 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 good to have you um, continuing on uh, but yeah game, games where uh, the game is clearly about someone uh disliking uh, about how everyone working on the game hates it are relatively rare. Uh, this does remind me of an early Atlas game that has like a nearly impossible, like a Tamikamura Atlas game that has a nearly impossible to find Easter egg where the developer rants individually at almost every person who worked on the game. What was the question here? question was, uh, can you think of any games that are directly about how no one is, who is making the game seems to be happy with it? Hmm. 
Well, I mean, I can't quote anybody, but I'm pretty sure that everybody who worked on Stargazer probably won't talk about it ever again. Yeah, but that's not quite the same because it's one of those situations where, uh, where like it's just everyone was unhappy making the game, but they didn't. The game isn't about how they're all unhappy making it. Uh, the Last of Us Part yeah, Two really kind of sounds like everyone was very unhappy making that game. <laughs> that's not what it's about, though. Yeah, I know. It's about something much stupider. Um, <laughs> also, I did find the the game I was thinking of, Erika Tosafiru no Yume Bokan, which has a four paragraph long screed uh, complaining about uh, this everyone else on this programmer's team. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, who the hell are these people with this project? I'm so glad it's over. You think it's nothing but good memories? No, no. Let's use this space to give out some thanks. Um, also, I just want to say, just because She-Hulk is poking fun at itself and the MCU, it does not mean it's not some strange admission that it all sucks. I don't understand that. It's bizarre yeah, to me. We'll have to, we'll have to disagree. I was going to say, that kind of argument comes from somebody who's already convinced that it sucks and is looking for validation. Yes. But yeah, I, I appreciate this incredibly long uh, developer message in this weird old Famicom game where it's just like, first off, Kaoru Ogura, who ran off some guy in the middle of the project. Yes, you, you bastard. Don't show, <laughs> don't show, don't show up at the office without showering. Uh, let's see, next, Tatsuya Ohashi. Uh, yes, you, you bastard. Don't give me your flipping shit. Come in late on the day we ship the ROM like nothing's amiss. You can give me all Very the porn you want, no, but I'm not forgetting that one. I'm forget. I, I vaguely remember someone posting this back on the old forums for RPG. It's Earth. really weird and really long. No, no, no. Some, <laughs> something else. It had to do with sort of similar though. Final Fantasy. It was. I want to say it was Final Fantasy Eleven, and just like it was this dev blog, but it was a completely like joke dev blog. Of like the happenings, like at one point there was like this, like a celebration going on, and I forget if it was for eleven fourteen, but it was amazing because the dude was like talking how they're at this party, and they're like doing DDR at this like congratulatory party, and um, you know Wada is there, who shows up on his like yeah custom bread gold chocobo. <laughs> and then they're doing DDR, and it's like the next thing I turn over over and he's there doing you know doing the moves hardest difficulty butt ass naked and i'm like what the heck it was it was a completely joke blog but it was amazing to read and i wish i knew where how to find this again because i've wanted to read it because it's just so ridiculous as insane as this atlas uh, thing is it's nowhere near as weird as some of the things you would find inside of weird old british computer games uh, those my those my personal weird. favorite among these what's that? Yeah, some of those were weird. My personal favorite is one that shows up in a forgot an otherwise forgotten old game called uh, Mad Professor Moriarty, which has uh, text uh, within it that says, "Hello, hacker fucker. This is Matt Furness. Here's the deal: if you hack this game, I will find you wherever you are and break your legs, and that's a promise." <laughs> it says. Quite, quite a Matt, Matt Furness would just sort of go off. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, Hair, Hair Frog was playing one, and I don't know if it was British or not, um, but it definitely had called Detective Frog. 
mm-hmm. series, and, and they were sort of adventure games. And I will s- tell you, I was sitting there listening to him play it, and I couldn't tell where the where her frog was versus where the game was, because <laughs> the detect the detective cog, uh, frog character ha- was basically hair frog, like his normal mm-hmm. personality when he's playing anything. And I just was like, I can't tell the difference between you and the, and the character in that game, Air Frog. <laughs> it the was Amiga a, it, ver- okay. it was pretty glorious. The Amiga version of Final Fight has an absolute fucking novel of a rant written in uh, written into Isn't it for Amiga some reason. The Amiga version of Final Fight. Yes. Got a mate who can do fantastically dull pseudo house music on Noise Tracker, and another mate who is really amazing at doing uninteresting Boz Relief metallic logos on D Paint. <laughs> He's just ranting about like uh, bad Psygnosis games in this, in this message for some reason. Oh. <laughs> Sounds very amusing. We're going to do Super Famicom games and charge more than the national debt of Brazil. <laughs> After that, it's virtual reality, and I actually... This is, it's so long. I i could not possibly read all of this. It's so long. Uh, he's shouting out specific people who crack games on DBSs. Yes, kids, programmers, ego, times, uh, ego time, other games I've written, and then he lists like a nightmare list of old British computer game ports. Lemmings? No. Surprising. Other games I've written, the list gets longer. Double Dragon 1, Amiga, ST, Amstrad, CPC, Double Dragon 2, Amiga, ST, Amstrad, Arg, Endless Beat-em-ups, Shinobi, Amstrad, Block Racer, Amiga, and ST, E-Spot, Spectrum, but don't tell anyone, Line of Fire, Amiga, and ST, Rotox, Amiga, and ST, Fly Spy, Amstrad, the Islands of Dr. Destructo, Commodore 64, UCM, Commodore 64, Barf, Utilities, etc. Zap, Amiga, Cyclone, Amiga, Time Warp, Turbo Loader, Amstrad, Invadaload, plus various other bits and pieces and in-house stuff. Right, that's the programography over with. Now the customary rubbish that I usually put in the startup sequence to use you log before you go down to the five-minute job of cracking the game. See also Line of Fire. Like, he is just ranting at this for pages and pages. He wrote his entire life story into the boot sequence of this fucking video game. Oh my god, oh my god. I am not even... I, I'm scrolling down right now, and I'm almost to the end of this long ramp. Oh my god, not Okay. Uh, and then there's even more rants that you can get if you press the right key combination over the opening. It's... If you ever want to be just confused by what people spent their time doing with Amiga ports, uh, go look at Final Fight Amiga's... Uh... <laughs> Uh, Final Fight Amiga on the uh, on the cutting room floor, and you'll you'll find just how much someone can just sort of pipe into spare ROM space. For some reason, I'm just remembering this joke blog that somebody wrote for Toriyama and from Square Enix once, mm-hmm. and it was basically pretending just be him as his usual drunk self. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he was like, "Okay, so Kawazu, Kawazu." Did I ever work with Quasi? I don't remember. What the hell we did racing? What was let racing? I can't remember. What was that? Oh, I was so drunk that year. Um, I'm, I'm just remembering that right now. <laughs> that's that's basically what most Amiga uh, 
programmers <laughs> were writing into the boot sequences of all of their games for some reason. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, now, this, we these had are some... the kinds of Easter eggs that would have been really fun to include in something like Ready Player One. That would have been more interesting than what was actually in there. Um, yeah, searching for all these Easter eggs and finding a 20,000-word rant from the programmer. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of questions that we skipped over because you weren't here yet, and they were very much things that only you would have a real answer to. Okay. Uh, Fireminer asked, I heard that Japan still makes physical game guides, but are they sold at game stores, or do normal bookstores carry them, too? Both. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen Kino Kuni is in the U.S. that still have something. bookstores often also have a game section. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I go to Staya downtown, then um, the game section has the game guide books in one on one shelf nearby. Hmm. Um... Or if I go to Kinakunia over at the shopping center, that's just a bookstore. But it does have a section of game guides right over next to the manga section. Yeah, I remember back in like visiting the Seattle Kinokuniya back in like 2014 and seeing uh, and like looking through them and seeing a Japanese guide to Minecraft and being mm -hmm. like, oh, I guess that is popular over there. <laughs> yep. So yeah, they sell them in the regular stores, and you can buy used copies in the used game stores. Nice. And I once found a guide to the PSP remake of Tactics Ogre, uh, no, no, Final Fantasy Tactics, and I think <laughs> it was Class 2-7 at my high school. I do not know why it was there. So. Huh. But it was on the bookshelf. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, and then we had the other second question, which was, are there any funky TV games in Japan besides things like Tension Dragon Quest? I vaguely remember this piece of news long ago about Japanese people being able to purchase some kind of TV card like the DCAS, but instead of watching TV, it let you stream games. Uh, that, that sort of utility was probably long in the past at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the Wii co-opted a lot of that market to begin with. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are games based out of TV programs where mm -hmm. you can use your remote control as the controller, but it has to be live mm -hmm. while you're doing it. So um, like most of them, <laughs> yeah, most of them are like quiz show format, but there sense. is at least one show that I remember where you can control the thing on your version. Um, yeah. That's kind of cool. So, yeah well, I wasn't sure what kind of answer that would have but I wanted to save it for you um, let's see um, let's hit this one when people talk about how unrealistic entertainment fictions are I find a lot of cases they specifically mean to point out that there is a single intention or narrative behind the visual and audio designs unlike in real life they are a jumbled mess with so many narratives conflicting with each other. Is there any game, movie, etc., that goes out of its way to depict this messiness? I don't know that that's possible. You can try, and certainly you'll definitely see uh, some degree of uh, you'll you'll definitely see uh, worlds that have things in them just to have them. But even if you don't, song. <laughs> yeah. 
but even if you don't like the limited set of people touching the narrative means that it can't have the sheer jumbled chaos of the you know infinite number of different forces shaping an actual environment yeah. and but also the way that people are interacting with that environment precludes it from being treated in the same way when you yeah. experience a game you you must experience it to some degree narratively you you see as much of that world as the designer can possibly possibly cares to show you and the places they choose not to show you shape the contours of the narrative in the same way that like a documentary is theoretically trying to just tell you something about a like specific process or person or thing or you know organization or per, you know all these things but the things that it chooses to show you eventually form a narrative just because eventually it has to decide what it isn't going to bother telling you about. And that's the nature of a game world. Like, if you make a big-ass game world, you you kind of can't if you come up uh, create something that people will not find a narrative in, even if you didn't intend to make it. Because you know the reading of the the reading of the game and the reading of a narrative are as much constructors of the narrative as the things in the game on the paper on the page, in frame that sort of thing. The, the, what the person brings to their reading is inherently going to shape the narrative quite a bit. So you kind of can't make an environment that doesn't tell you something about it, even if just by what you didn't bother making. <laughs> so I don't think it's actually possible because, it, as much because of just how the human brain works and how it seeks patterns in basically everything. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of environmental storytelling is based on. It's just your willingness to put the things together. Yeah. And at, at some point, it's just one of those things where, like, even if the designer had no intentions when doing so, a sufficiently determined player will always find connections. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Tamar Wheels? Nah. Pretty much, that's pretty cut and dry. talked about how making the villains too good at their villainy might create troubles for the writers who can't find a satisfying way for the protagonists to overcome the villains. How does this apply to the mechanisms of video games? For example, uh, adventure games. Do you think developers have a lot of problems trying to design the puzzle slash logic team in a way that lets players feel like they're Sherlock Holmes without demanding them to be as good as Sherlock Holmes? And how is the existence of ass-backward trial and error puzzles related to this matter? Uh, you're correct in the sense that almost every game that has puzzles has to walk the fine line of making the player feel smart without actually requiring them to be smart. Mm -hmm. uh, which is not as much of a dunk as it sounds like. It is just a concern of... And you can tell that this is an ongoing problem because there is currently, right now, a controversy about how you can't turn off puzzle hints in God of War Ragnarok. It just came out and people are complaining that the second that you encounter half the puzzles, one or both of your helper characters will just immediately point out how to do the puzzle. <laughs> like with a, you know, and there's no way to turn off that behavior. There's no way to decrease its frequency. And that's because, and this is also why games tend to default to very specific kinds of puzzles that uh, have Are very... Are have been solved by the player before? Yeah, like, the, the, the kinds of puzzles, like, you know, 
block pushing has a lot of it shows up in a lot of these games it's become less common over the years but especially in early games it was very common because it was relatively easy to implement it was immediately obvious what the uh what the parameters were about what you could do with it and there were the, you could the objective very well yeah the the parameters and objective were immediately obvious and then when you look at something like a mist or a ribbon like those kinds of adventure games they were they were puzzle based and they are not the hardest puzzles in the world but because so much of a puzzle is also about communicating what the rules of the puzzle are like that's why things like mist are hard it's not just the puzzle itself it's understanding what the rules of the puzzle are every time because there isn't a consistent set of rules that all the puzzles are following yeah, I remember um, playing around with the little hangman toy thing for a long time before figuring out that it's actually supposed to be teaching numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that took a while to figure out. Yeah. So Much like, less connect numbers to the little wooden balls that you find all over the place. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, you have to... You, you're, you know, you're designing a puzzle and you're working under the assumption that for the most part, you can only really assume if you're like, say you're say you're making a 3D Zelda dungeon puzzle. Any given player probably only saw about 70% of the hints you laid out for them. They just missed. Maybe even if, even if they were obvious, they missed something. And so the puzzle still needs to be solvable for that person. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the the issue is that like if you make a puzzle that requires, and of course there's also the fact that the puzzle people consider it bad puzzle design if the puzzle requires you to have knowledge that you wouldn't have learned from the game itself so like or that doesn't apply to every other situation in the game like one-off interactions are generally considered bad puzzle design for a lot of different reasons uh puzzles that require you to know real world trivia that is not just very basic ideas of how to function in the world are generally considered bad design these sorts of things, like, they put all sorts of constraints around what you can make in terms of puzzles. And that's before you get into the situation of, like, the game itself in terms of what its technology allows for puzzles. Like, mm-hmm. there was a, a, uh, there's a YouTube channel that I reference fairly regularly on here. Uh, I think it's it's been renamed recently to something like Mark Darrow on Game Design. It was a it's a guy who worked at Bioware for like twenty years, from Baldur's Gate to Anthem, mm-hmm. and uh, he talks a lot about different things that are you know like he, he goes over like games he worked on, like challenges that he had, and like things he learned from working on them. But one of his series is called Things That Are Harder, and it's just basically talking about like this is why implementing X, Y, and Z feature is harder than you think. And one of them is just about puzzles, and he goes a bit into like how to, how, like a lot of the same things that I've, I've just been sort of cribbing here about like technology and like teaching players and all sorts of different things. And so one of the things he talks about is like why Bioware, like every fucking game for like five games in a row had a Towers of Hanoi puzzle. And it was because you could implement it in essentially the dialogue engine. You could just. If, if you just pick from a dialogue tree, you can successfully implement an interface for a Towers of Hanoi puzzle. And so that was one of the reasons that they just kept doing Towers of Hanoi puzzles, along with the fact that, of course, 
you can make a Towers of Hanoi puzzle that a person can go from not knowing what Towers of Hanoi is to solving in five minutes. And, you know, that, that sort of thing is always, you know, a thing that developers have to worry about. Uh, you'll see this also a lot when people get frustrated and say, if you've ever played an Ace Attorney game, people will get frustrated because different, different pieces of evidence will require uh, you to think in very different ways. There's a puzzle early in the second game that I had difficulty with because it's essentially requiring you to imagine the crime scene in 3D space to realize what the contradiction is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's basically a character talking about getting out of a burning car wreck, but from a, from a door they shouldn't have been able to get out of if you are imagining the crime scene in 3D space. And that's, that's, that's one... for somebody who's really good at British detective novels and guessing the answer. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's a very fun interview with Shu Takumi, who wrote the first four games and the Great Ace Attorney uh, spinoffs, uh, where he just uh, rambles for like 20 minutes about his favorite episodes of Columbo. So, <laughs> just a big old nerd. Um, but yeah. Uh, puzzle, puzzle design, it's really hard to hit that thing, that precise middle ground between this puzzle does not feel like it's insulting, but it also doesn't actually make someone feel dumb because they can't figure it out and potentially cause them to quit the game. And so that's why, much more often than not, a developer is going to err on the side of just make sure that they have a way to get the answer and keep going. And that sometimes it's, here's your overactive helper character, and sometimes it's, just make the puzzle really simple. Because you, you need to, uh, you need to design the puzzle for the least observant part of the player base. Yeah. That, that, that would be one that, it's, it's a lot of, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. It's it's so much work, uh, and that's that's kind of games. Game difficulty as a whole is about feeling like the game is trying to prevent you from winning, but really the game is trying to make sure that you don't quit before you win. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, I went off on a pair there. No worries. That's fine. Uh, have... I mean, that's Q and A quest. Dave, Dave Tangents while wheels play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh God, I'm on like. Okay, so several hours of podcasting later. Uh... <laughs> and you're doing it in three in weeks. There. Yeah, we'll be doing it again in three weeks. Uh... Yeah, uh, Gaijin, before we conclude, did you want to talk at all about what you've been playing? It hasn't actually changed from last week, except I'm currently trying to work my way through magical um, paintings. Good, good. I love Mario 64. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I mean, this is Persona 5. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good section. Mm -hmm. The whole game is good. Yeah, I was going to say, the whole game is a good section. Yeah. yeah. They're all different good sections. I, uh, how far are you into that uh, dungeon? Um, I've 
I've got the character with Goemon's persona. Yeah, that was one of those one of those things where, like, the second that I started playing Persona Five, I was counting down to, okay, when is someone going to be Ishikawa Ishikawa Goemon? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my my first money would have been on Jiraiya just because they they seem to be going with mostly fictional, but Jiraiya was in Persona Four, so the yeah, they couldn't really do Jiraiya again. Yeah. So, of course, now yeah. I'm, I'm like I'm not tr I'm trying hard not to look up any plot spoilers because for some reason in my head I'm thinking, okay, the the police detective lady whose name I cannot remember how to pronounce, I won't look it up. Um, it's like, it would be so awesome. It's like she was a secret character and she had um, and she had Javert as a persona. <laughs> that would probably good. not. That that's good. almost certainly not going to happen, but that would have been cool. So. Mm -hmm. I will not uh, comment because yeah. I will not spoil it for you. Okay. But yeah, Ishikawa Goemon. Okay, good. Hmm. But yeah, Ishikawa Goemon is one of those ones that was like, the second that they announced that it was, the second they made it clear that it was all going to be thieves, it was like, yep, he's just count down to when we're going to see him. <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to yeah. have to look up the plot to Carmen again just to figure out why she is one of them. I do like how every time you unlock a character, the school library opens up like a book that's just like your character reading about that persona. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if I need to, actually, I haven't had that many chances to read books on the train yet. Yeah, those don't show up too often, but they're always great when they do because it's just like, oh sweet, this time is completely free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you can also read books in in the uh, coffee shop sometimes. Mm. Coffee shop I sometimes. Yeah, school, school, uh, school library sometimes as well. Uh, but the train is the best because it's time that you don't. You couldn't get, get any other way, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's basically oh. extra, extra time. Uh, if you haven't been, every Sunday at the train station, there's a there are like these like health smoothies you can get. Mm -hmm. And they give you a point, or they give you a couple points in a specific uh, personality stat, like kindness or whatever. But they don't take time. So, so where is that on Sunday? It's, it's, it's at the train station. And so it's like a. The, uh, and, uh, just okay. Oh, sorry, it was cutting out for a moment. So it was like at the train station, something's happening. Um, it, it, yeah, it's in the it's in sort of the underground, the same place where you can find advertisements for part time jobs. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a stand that sells like fucking health smoothies that you can get that that you can oh get smoothies some... okay. I was I heard movies. I'm like I already know where the movies are. Oh, yeah, the movies take time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the smoothies do not. Yeah. Though I do like that they actually voiced all of the movies. Yeah. There's also, I think, at least one movie you can watch that's called Dragon Like a Yakuza. Oh yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> but... Oh no, I just, I just finished X Folder. Ah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of very good stupid puns. Yes. X Folder. Yeah, X Files, X Folder. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, yeah. my my brain does not go to X Files. My brain went to the anime X Driver. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just think yeah. of the Y Files now. Of course you do, because you're broken inside. That's yeah, true. Um, 
but yeah, uh, I'm glad you're enjoying. Still love that game, but uh, I, I plan to pick it up on Steam, but it's going to be after I pick up Relayer. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because I need more mecha strategy games in my life. Do you? You're not playing not Front Mission first? <laughs> it's only on Switch. Yeah, and, yeah. And my kids have stolen both Switches now. Actually, <laughs> not even kids. Kid. One kid has is basically playing both Switches. Ow. Well, like when the battery dies on one, he plays the other. Is that what the charger's for? Smart. Yeah. Uh, we had to take away the chargers because my other son has keeps destroying them. Oh. Uh, I have right. bought about sixty dollars worth of Nintendo chargers, and that's off-brand. Well, yeah, if I'm ever to... looking for a replacement charger, I'll ask you which ones are good. Uh. <laughs> I've actually been using the Walmart brand one for my phone, and this works pretty damn good. It's also twenty bucks. That's not too bad. It's not too bad at all. Yeah, no. Considering like the official ones from Nintendo are like thirty-five. Yeah, no, that's not a bad savings for something that works just as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was thinking. I was thinking of maybe calling it a bit short because uh, we've answered the questions that were in the chat, and I am also a little tired today. That's fair. So. He, Tell he, was me. Also, he was also on backtrack tonight. Yeah, so I basically got off work, immediately ran to get fast food so that I would have something to eat before backtrack, and then went straight to backtrack and then straight from backtrack to QA, so. A little tired, so. Uh, Gaijin, please tell me about Pizza Parlors. Well, I'm happy to announce that there's soon going to be a new episode out. I was wondering when that would happen. It was going to happen oh, as soon as I could get my cover artist to finish a cover. Nice, nice. Yeah, I saw, I I mean, saw you. The last few years have not been very kind to anybody's emotional health. So yeah, I can't blame them. It, it took a while to manage this, but uh, yeah, she's got the 10th ep episode cover finished, and she's working on this third side quest cover now. Roger being quiet about things. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw you post the cover, and I was like, oh, excellent. <sighs> Yeah. So, of course, it comes just in time for the exchange rates to be abysmal for you. Oh, yeah, PayPal. they're nightmarish right now. Yeah. So. Oh, well, I will. My uh, bank account will survive this somehow. Uh, it, I mean, it will. I've got a decent amount saved up. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but yes, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, um, nine ebook episodes, soon to be ten, plus two side quests, soon to be three, plus a wonderfully extravagantly overindulgently long paralogue, because summer <laughs> camps work like that, um, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um, if you enjoy tabletop gaming, if you enjoy reading about tabletop gaming, if you enjoy living vicariously through other people's bad personal decisions and worse dice rolls, and hey, there is an entire podcast industry based around this very thing nowadays, uh, to the point where every time I advertise people think I'm talking about a podcast or a video series and not an actual book series, please people, <laughs> please people, open a book, um, then we have something for you. It is, again, um, quick math, 
12 ebooks, soon to be 13 ebooks, or four current Dead Tree collections hmm. uh, available on Amazon and, and Kindle, Kindle Unlimited. It's uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu. Y A R I M I Z U. Um, so uh, please check it out. Thank you very much. Um, let's see. Uh, before I forget, I wanted to point out that uh, dear dear friend of the show, uh, Smoke and Joe Gamer, popped into the chat to say plug plug plug, uh, and I figured that I should point out that uh, if you enjoy uh, the bullshitting that we get up to here, that you should also check out his uh, Twitch channel, uh, which is Smoke and Joe Gamer. Uh, the parts of that that should be capitalized are capitalized, otherwise it's smelled exa spelled exactly as you expected to. Uh, he, he shows up here fairly often as a good guy. Uh, give him a follow. Uh, he's on Twitch at that, by that name. Uh, just wanted to give him the shout out, give him the plug. Pam, uh, what you got for us? Uh, I stream at least two days a week on twitch.tv slash <laughs> Uh, as part of a collaborative effort for rpgamer.com. Uh, we have several different streamers, although we have lost one, sadly. Uh, good guy, but he he uh, had other commitments that were uh, causing him issues and he had to step away. So, But we still have a good That's five or, Yeah, we still have a good five people, so five or six people who stream uh, every day of the week, different times, so check us out. And, uh, there's no way you could follow all of that, and there's definitely some VODs anyway. <laughs> yeah, there. So, um, what about you, Wheels? Uh, you can catch this podcast every week on Wednesday, twitch.tv slash askwheels. Um, Usually around 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight also do Sunday Night Shenanigans, which is generally multiplayer games, occasionally other stuff. This past week, we paid tribute to Kevin Conroy by playing Batman, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I think we're going to be doing more Saints Row this weekend. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, we also do some adventures in platforming on occasion. We just finished... Part four of Klonoa go. recently. Yeah, you finished Klonoa entirely. Yes. Uh, next up, we're going to do Sonic Frontiers at some point. Uh, we'll eventually, we'll do some Pac-Man World. Yeah, and after that, some Pac-Man World. Oh, that sounds bad, Tim. Yeah, that sounds rough. Uh, yeah, that's usually streamed live on Monday nights, and I post the full VODs of that to you. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a playlist adventures in platforming I forget if I split them up by the different quote unquote seasons or not <laughs> but I mean if just just find that playlist I think it's just one playlist and it adventures should, in platforming 3 season of the witch yes should list them in, <laughs> should list them in uh, order by most recent I would think so Check that out there. Uh, I think that's it. Um, I may... I am picking up Pokemon at midnight on Thursday night. I may 
pop on the stream while I'm starting that game up. We will I'll see. probably need to hook Pokemon off a little just to make sure that no one is trying to get it for me for Christmas because that sometimes happens and I don't want them to feel awkward. <laughs> uh, uh, and I guess I can take a little bit of a wrap off of what I've been working on instead of just keeping Yay. that up. Uh, I won't be, it's it's not going to be done anytime soon, but it's something that I might put some, like, rough drafts onto the, this, the disused Patreon for. Uh, so, yeah, the disused Patreon might get an update sometime in the next uh, few weeks, because I have been doing, I've been writing chapters of essentially an amateur uh, history of East as I have been going through it. Uh, with the first chapter that I've currently been trying to hammer into shape being the influences that shaped it, going back to D&D, Wizardry, uh, all the way through uh, things like uh, Hydelight and Sorcerian, trying to get a decent uh, handle on how those played. If you recall me ranting about those a few episodes ago, that's part of why. Uh, but yeah, those chapters are still in very rough shape but I might put some of them on the Patreon behind the paywall because they're, uh, you know, they're very rough and I would not want to just randomly throw them out there, but, you know, mm -hmm. gives, gives people something to, yeah, some some sort of worth for having signed up for it, but, you know, and get some kind of feedback on, like, this seems like you haven't expounded on it enough, this seems like you could, uh, you know, this might be wrong, this that sort of thing, so might throw that in there. Oh, Lord. Hope everything's okay, Tam. Uh, but yeah. So, yeah, we're working on that as sort of like a book project. Uh, okay. Yeah, so that's my... Uh, that's That might get show up on the Patreon, which we patreon.com slash study. But yeah, the hope is to eventually, like, have played through the entire East series, sort of uh, charted through each of the main games that were developed by Falcom along with the non-Falcom versions of East 4 uh, and a bit of an interlude chapter to sort of discuss how games changed between 5 and 6 since those games are a full 10 years apart. Uh, but yeah, that, that was kind of the intention. That's what I've been working on in the background. And, you know, theoretically that eventually gets turned into an ebook that sells to an audience of three people total. Mm -hmm. But that's uh that's what I've been doing. Sample chapters of that might show up on the Patreon. But yeah. So that's that's I, my plug. I am excited for this. You're a fool. You <laughs> you're born a fool and you'll die a fool. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> Well, that's why he's playing Destiny. Oof. Even I wasn't going to go that low. But, yeah, so that's that's, what's, that's what I've been working on. That's what's on the Patreon. Or what will be on the Patreon probably sometime in a, probably sometime in a couple of weeks uh, when I get to a version of the Prelude chapter that I would not be ashamed to show other people. Uh, <laughs> and the answer is that there will never be a point where that's not the case, but, you know, a version that I will put up and then stop thinking about immediately until I start until I see a comment on it. Um, 
just remember Kawazu's advice about releasing video games. Yeah. Like, nobody has ever released a fully completed video game. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the commiseration, but yeah, so that's what sort I've been working on. Hopefully that comes to fruition one day, but yeah, that's very much a spare time project when I have time and stomach to both write and play East, so <laughs> we'll see where things go. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, I think, oh, you can ask us questions. You can ask them like your Fireminer did this week in the Discord by going to rpgamer.com, clicking the community tab. Uh, that will get you an invite to the Discord, where you can ask us questions in the comment section. Uh, we always appreciate uh, comments and questions. They make it much easier for us to continue rambling with some semblance of a structure. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, even if you don't want to ask us questions, the RP Gamer Discord is a lovely community that's totally worth being part of. Uh, Otherwise, you can also ask questions in the comments section under this very episode. We usually check back two or three episodes in the archive, just in case. So, uh, And, you know, if we miss your question, feel free to ask it again. We will never be uh, against checking a second time or, you know. It's always a reasonable thing to do, but yeah. Uh, thanks once again to Fireminer and to Pam for questions this week. Uh, but otherwise, I think... We are just about done, so see you, Space Cowboys. See ya. Mm -hmm. See ya. The sun is falling.